Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, for the second week in a row, we're going to be talking about another movie from A24. And you guys know I love my A24 films. Uh, It just always works out that way, I don't know. Uh, But before we do get into that, I want to uh, remind you all to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. I want to thank you all who have been listening and downloading this show. Uh, Keep it up. It's awesome. You guys all rule. Um, I'm going to kind of jump right into things today. The movie we're going to be talking about is Mid-90s. It's the directorial debut of Jonah Hill. And it is kind of a slice of life of what it was like to be a, uh, like a skater kid in the 90s. And, um, it's a really, uh, a really cool thing that he did. I mean, he, he really, um, coming out of the gate, first film, really uh, did something interesting and captured the 90s in a way that you really haven't seen outside of films made in the 90s. Um, it's a pretty cool thing, and uh, I'm really glad this movie exists, and I'm really glad to uh, get a chance to talk about it with returning co-host Chris Cradock. All right, everyone, before we get into today's episode, I want to let you guys know we actually have a sponsor today. It is the band Farangs from Las Vegas. Uh, Farangs, as they put it on their own Facebook page, is an indie proggy psyche band from here in Las Vegas. Uh, There's some friends of mine, actually, so I'm really glad to have them here on the show. And I want to let you guys know you can check out their album on Bandcamp at farangs.bandcamp.com. And check them out performing on November 24th at Beauty Bar in downtown Las Vegas. They're going to be opening for Delta Sleep. And at the end of the episode, you get to hear a whole new song of theirs. So stay tuned after the interview. All right, so back on the show with us today, we've got Chris Cranock with us. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you back here. It's been a little while. It um, has been. Yeah. It gave the people a break. That's right. Wisely. Yeah. yeah. Wisely, well, we we, we want to space the, the, the Cranock out <laughs> a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right on. Um, yeah, well, th- today I'm, I'm excited about this one. As everybody listens knows, I'm always excited about my A24 movies. Yeah, um, so am I. So yeah, am I. So, so pretty good so far. Yeah. There's been a few misses, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've got plenty of movies that don't even, like, get theatrical runs. Yeah. And so it's sure. like, I 
I've seen maybe two of those, right, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the big ones, though, I always get excited, and I was super excited for this one. I mean, mid-90s were mm-hmm. kind of my era. That's, you know, yeah. where I grew up. My, you know? Our first nostalgic yeah. movie, like our first movie. This is seriously like nostalgia overload, like from the first frame to yeah, <laughs> to which I, Yeah, end. which could is maybe a good thing, or maybe, yeah. you know, it's maybe it's it clouds it a little bit to be objective about the movie. I actually have that exact note in my notes. I was like... <laughs> Like, it's kind of hard to be objective about it because yeah. it's like, like, oh, my God, that. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes, they got that cassette tape. And I, like... <laughs> they had the uh, Hulk Hogan uh, wrestling buddy that I that I still have in a closet. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is legit. It's... I, I, I signed off on its authenticity from the first frame. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Although I, was, I think I was objective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so, too. I... I, I... Yeah, I think I tried to be the best I could. Yeah. What'd you think of it? Did you like the movie? I did. I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we get into these puzzle pieces, we'll see a lot of, I mean, really, it's like a lot of these, like, you know, kind of coming of age and slice of life type of things. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, I could see where some people might not be super into that kind of thing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little bit less plot involved and all that. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, I, I, I think it was a lot of fun, you know, it was, it was one of the more fun movies I'd watched recently where I was just like super into everything that was happening. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's good. I, I liked it quite a bit, actually, but um, I kind of felt like it, it was kind of like a sketch it almost felt a little bit like a, you know, like it felt like a first draft. Yeah, yeah. In a way, um, and this is obviously Jonah Hill's first movie, right, right? And there are some filmmakers that come out and make a movie their first time that's so shockingly good that, it, like, you know, like Kevin Costner made, you know, made a Dances with Wolves, sure, song, so Gone with the Wind. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Costner is nine hundred years old. He's, yeah. he's Methuselah. <laughs> no, no. So he made uh, Dances with Wolves, and uh, that movie's so painfully good it actually frustrates me because right, I hate right. Kevin Costner. But he made one of the best movies ever. Yeah. But anyway, so no, but yeah, with uh, mid nineties, uh, I, I see, I felt like i see what, like what he's going for you mm-hmm. know but i don't know if he has the directorial vision yet or yeah. if i'm just missing the boat on it a little bit but i really loved it there's a lot of really great stuff in it but yeah it kind of felt like uh his dry run i'm excited yeah. to see what he does later yeah it's interesting you say that and i was gonna bring this up later but you know we're, we're talking about it right now i might as well jump right into sure. it but um uh it doesn't really tell me what jonah hill as a director is gonna be yeah as he continues to do more movies it's just like uh I have an idea. I'm gonna do it, and yeah. it's not his vision, his voice. You know what I mean? It's just a thing. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because that's a that's a debatable topic even there because some filmmakers, I think, feel so uh, almost like forced into saying, "Hey, this is me. Here's my signature on a, on a debut." Yeah. That the movie suffers, and then actually, one of the things I I think this is a benefit to it, or this is a positive thing about it, is that I didn't feel Jonah Hill all over it. Right. So even though I like, I, maybe I'm like, I'm, you can't make me happy. You can't please me. Cause I'm saying it's mm-hmm. not like, it's like a sketch, but I'm also saying, but I like that he isn't just like, Hey, look at me. But you know, sometimes films uh, will come out and they'll just have such a strong vision, but they don't feel like their style or mm-hmm. they, you know, and mid nineties had a style to it, but it didn't feel egregious, yeah. but it also just didn't feel like a full, like totally cohesive project, you know. Sure. It felt like his first, it's like a dry run, but yeah. like a really good one because I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, we might as well get into uh, some of these puzzle pieces. Why don't you go ahead with your first one? Okay. So 
I think at first this is going to sound kind of crazy, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to make more sense you know, the more we talk about it. So the first one is going to be Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Okay. Uh, and just in general, I'm starting to realize how influential that movie is or has become ever since it was released in 2011. So for those of you who don't know, Tree of Life is a movie by a guy named Terrence Malick who um, made two films in the 70s that were kind of cult hits, and then he stopped making movies all the way until the mid-90s, and Sean Penn found them and dusted them off, and they made the Thin Red Line together. He made The New World, and then he went on to do uh, Tree of Life, which was years in the making, and it was originally like a 600-page script. Right, yeah. And it kind of was the first first step into Malick... And his now known style, which has become almost self parody at this <laughs> yeah. point. You know, I'm a Malik fan. I'll watch him like spin right. around with a camera for five hours. Yeah. But I, I acknowledge that it's self parody and it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Tree of Life was like the right mix for me. It was a slice of life about young boys growing up, it was about the transitional period from childhood to adulthood and how rough and challenging that can be and how frustrating it can be uh, when you're starting to you know, sense the world around you, but you want to, you know, still be a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen that a lot recently in films uh, have, that have been coming out. And even though Tree of Life tends to have more of an artsy, fartsy quality to it, sure. you know, um, I still think that it was a pretty big influence on mid-90s. Mid, Mid-90s took that kind of, it didn't have a strong plot, which is right. good, was a good thing, in my opinion. It's not a bad thing. Uh-huh. But I can see where it would lose certain conventional moviegoers. Sure, yeah. Uh, Tree of Life didn't, ha- didn't have a plot. And it's kind of both about that transitional period. Um, this just specifically was the 90s, but the story is kind of universal about the boy transitioning into less of a boy. And that's kind of what yeah. I think mid-90s is really about. Absolutely. Um, you know, two movies that were not puzzle pieces mm-hmm. because they're too new to actually be puzzle pieces, <laughs> um, but that I wanted to bring up, and I think that's a perfect setup because we're talking about transitional period in yeah. uh, young people's life, um, are two other A24 films from this year, which are Eighth Grade and Never Going Back, Yeah, which both deal with that same exact kind of feeling. It almost feels like... Uh, like they themed this year around that, you know? Um, But, uh, and actually this episode is going to go up right after Never Going Back. So I guess we're having an A24 back-to-back double feature. Yeah, we should get uh, them to sponsor this. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, if you're you're listening. (laughs) But yeah, no, and and that's the thing is I I really feel like a big part of this was from Tree of Life. You know, it it rocked the indie film world. You Mm -hmm. know, it wasn't a huge commercial success, but it's gone on to become... Uh, a little bit more appreciated. People didn't quite know what to make of it when it first came out. Right. I think we're now more familiar with the Malik f- vibe and feel, so maybe we're going back and it's not, it doesn't seem so strange to us compared to like to The Wander or, or Night of Cups or Song to Song, which now feel like almost like stream of consciousness movies. You know, uh, Tree of Life has more of a, a, a more of a plot, which is kind of a funny word to use for that film. Right. Um, right. But it definitely has more of a story mm-hmm. that you can follow and you can relate to the characters more. You know, I feel like uh, his newer films are almost like music videos. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's know? so true. You know, and what, like, again, I like them. I'm not, I'm not bashing on them. I just acknowledge that they're kind of getting off the beaten path. Sure. Little. But yeah, Tree of Life was like the last film that I think was meant, you know, I think Roger Ebert put it really beautifully where like he was trying to make a masterpiece 
and that was and that's not a big thing anymore. Like we're not <laughs> trying. You know? And I like that he and I that he was ambitious. Like yeah. I don't care if it's pretentious. I care if it's you know if it's original. If he or if it's sincere. Yeah. Sincere is a better word than original because nothing's is. nothing's yeah. original, right? And I feel like mid nineties is absolutely sincere. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's the other thing I think it has in common. I think yeah. I agree is that it's it's definitely sincere. And I def- I think you can get away with being pretentious as yeah. long as you're sincere. Sure. I would rather have sincerity and you reaching beyond your grasp yeah uh, you know what i mean that's great why not you know yeah. if if it works it's called ambitious yeah. and if it fails it's called pretentious <laughs> so my problem doesn't really lie in things being pretentious it lies when it's insincere so sure. they both both films are and i've just like after i walked out of mid 90s i was like wow i feel like tree of life is really out like really gone beyond what i thought it would yeah i thought it would kind of fall into obscurity yeah but it hasn't i think filmmakers liked it more than audiences liked it yeah and I, i'm starting to see it pop up in all kinds of new films that makes a lot of sense yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's a great puzzle piece yeah thank you i um i'm gonna start out with one of my because I had told you before we started recording, uh, I have I have a few movies, but then I also have a couple of other things I wanted to bring up as puzzle pieces. Right. Uh, so the first one I'm going to do is one of the other things that's not a movie. Okay. Um, obviously, nostalgia is mm-hmm. a major part of this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just down to the title, mid-90s. Right. Um, and nostalgia as a uh, thing is having such a big moment right now. Nostalgia is in everything. And I don't think there's anything that captures nostalgia more recently than the nes classic okay yeah (laughs) so that is my first puzzle piece oh that's cool um yeah the the nes classic is a uh a little miniature nintendo entertainment system the system that i believe came out in 1983 from Mm -hmm. nintendo and uh features i think 20 games uh 20 of the classic games that everyone knew and loved growing up and Mm -hmm. everybody apparently still wants to play it like constantly and i don't blame them because they're some of the best games ever yeah um but yeah i mean this is like such a perfect example of nostalgia and um mid 90s is absolutely a movie that the it seems like the singular idea is to bring you back to that time everything Mm -hmm. from uh you know, not not just the uh, the things happening in the movie, mm-hmm. um, but even right down to the look of the movie and everything. It looks like you're watching a VHS tape most of the time with the, uh, yeah. you know, the way that it's framed and even some of the uh, the effects like the scan line effects and stuff that popped up a little here and there, a little uh, uh, like visual degradation and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Almost like it was shot in uh, I instead of P. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, where, it's where they have those scan lines for fast movement and things like that. Which, Absolutely. You know, it was shot in four by three aspect ratio. So, I mean, yeah, they kind of laid it on pretty thick and trying to look like we're watching it through a 90s television. Yeah. Which, again, works great for, oh, yeah. for the content. But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned nostalgia because, you know, especially and especially with video games, because I'm not a big like video game guy mm-hmm. uh, because they've become such an art form unto themselves and I've yet to like hop onto that train. Mm-hmm. But I played video games growing up in the 90s, you know, and I remember just telling people how amazing Goldeneye was and how it's the greatest yeah. game ever. And then I played it like recently and it was like a gold, it was like a block. It was, a, it was like a, like a flesh colored block. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what is this? And I was, this is horrible. This yeah. is a lot better in my brain. Yeah. A lot better in my brain. Some people will swear that it's still amazing. They're um, liars. Yeah. I, I actually, and I, I'll get plenty of hate mail for this, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think anything except for the Nintendo and Super Nintendo era aged particularly well i don't think nintendo 64 on 
those kind That's of games. So loud, I'd, r- yeah. I'd rather just play a new game if I'm going to play GoldenEye. Yeah. You know, I'd, but I'd rather play a Nintendo or Super Nintendo right. game. That's definitely my favorite kind of game. Well, but, that's fair. That's, yeah. I think that's totally... No, no one should write you hate mail about that because yeah. that's just the cold hard truth. Bring it on, people. But, it's, uh, <laughs> but nostalgia is really dangerous as a concept and so I feel like the movie, like we said just as a joke in the beginning that it was kind of hard to be objective, but yeah. at the same time, that's an interesting topic to talk about. Sure. Because nostalgia is seductive Mm -hmm. but it mainly is unfulfilling like i think once if you look at it too closely it's not ever as good that's it's like inherently built into the idea yeah is that you know you remember a time better than it was and if Mm -hmm. you ever get a chance to even accept or experience it a little bit again it never holds up our imaginations and our memories are are little too uh too seductive for our own good. I don't want to get on too far of a tangent before going to your next puzzle piece, but you could bring up The Last Jedi and letting go of the past, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love The Last Jedi Me again. Too. Yeah, I thought it was great. I love Ryan Johnson. I'm excited to see his next trilogy. Which or sounds like it's going to be insane. I'm but... sure it's going to be great. He's great. Yeah. I love him. But, so, what but was yeah. your next puzzle piece? Well, be? speaking of nostalgia, I'll bring up another one. Um, which is, again, about nostalgia. It's called Amarcord. It's one of my favorite films by a guy named Federico Fellini. It was one of his kind of 70s, mid-career classic films. Uh, and Amarcord is a word that means I remember in an Italian dialect, kind of like a slang dialect. And it's about the heightened memories that we have and how our memories change reality and change fact that we don't remember that it's it's less important to remember what happened as opposed to how it happened Mm -hmm. that we fill in all kinds of little details and it's about this little seaside village of kids again kind of kids playing there's some adults there's a prostitute there's a this there's a that um kind of populated with famous fellini characters over the top you know obese women that are hypersexualized. um you know, Italian mothers and families arguing and fighting and screaming and yelling and singing and all kinds of amazing, cartoonish, beautiful things. Yeah. But the, a lot of the core of it is kids growing up in school and being mischievous and, and um, kind of growing up, you know, and the, again, the bittersweetness of growing up. Yeah. But it's like specifically about nostalgia, right in its very title. So sure. uh, I know that... Um, Jonah Hill is a man of many layers. He's an onion. Mm-hmm. And he started off as like this heavy set comedy figure in all of the Judd Apatow films and things. And he's then turned into an Oscar worthy actor sure. with, for, you know, for Bennett Miller and uh, Martin Scorsese. And mm-hmm. now he's turned you know, his attention to directing and his first effort is very artful. And uh, I think that he, from what I know about him, I think he's interested in, the, in European cinema. And uh, he's a uniquely American voice, I think, but yeah, I, can, yeah. I can see where the European, the great European cinema of the past has been an influence on him, and it, just in his mindset. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was a, a fan of Fellini, and if there wasn't some kind of uh, connection to that film in particular, because it's about that bittersweetness that I think he's exploring in mid-90s. Cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I think he... You know, for all of the the silliness that when he first came into everybody's uh, vision there, you know, he clearly is someone who loves cinema. And so it it wouldn't surprise me if he is a fan of those kind of films. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, Right on. Well, my next puzzle piece um, is a movie called Dope. Mm. Um, Coming of age film. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. it's kind of uh, about some nerdy kids and <laughs> in the inner city, and uh, and uh, there's a major, major love of hip hop through that movie mm-hmm. and through this movie. And aside from the kids, and aside from the the uh, 
the the whole coming of age angle. Uh, I'm looking at it more as the hip hop angle and okay. how much they just love their hip hop. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is the time of the '90s, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's when hip hop was at its best. I I will go on record as saying. Agreed. And, Agreed. And uh, the soundtrack to this movie is just fantastic. It, it is good. So much great hip hop on it. Some mm-hmm. of the best ever. Um, you got I, I there was a tribe called Quest on there. Yep. Eric B and Rakim, uh, some Wu Tang, like. So much, just all the best stuff. Yeah, really yeah. good. And it brought me back to being a little affluent white kid. Yes. Listening to it, thinking I was tough. Yeah. Not understanding anything about it. Yeah. Back when it didn't matter. No one cared yet. Yeah. <laughs> that, we, <laughs> that we were pretending to... Uh, to uh, feel like we understood these, you know, these, these musicians and these artists. And uh, I mean, I thought it's a good time to, I mean, I know it sounds kind of like a funny topic to bring up, but I thought it was good to be exposed to those things. Like, you know, I have friends that are from rural, you know, predominantly white places in the country and they mm-hmm. don't, they, and it was surprising to me of how little they knew about African-American culture and this version of Af- African-American culture in particular. And, um, and I showed them a film called Hoop Dreams. Uh, about two inner city kids uh, of African American descent in uh, Chicago, and how they're playing basketball basically to get out of this, you know, out of this um, crime ridden and poverty ridden part of the country. Um, and hip hop was a way for me to gain not only appreciation for this culture that I was not a part of, but it also, I think, made me sensitive and interested in learning more about it and understanding more about it. Yeah. And I didn't feel, but maybe because I was a kid, but I didn't feel that separation. You know, I felt like I was experiencing it like any other art form. And I didn't yeah, yeah. truly understand the scope of where that passion and that, you know, where the, what environment that art was coming from. But it didn't seem to matter. I was, I was just engaged in something that was not like me, and I was learning about it. So yeah, it was a good time for music and for cinema. And, and even though I think there's way more benefits of today to where we're a lot more sensitive to things in a positive light, there was almost like a blissful ignorance of the, you know, of the nineties. I think there was a blissful ignorance because even though we were, you know, accidentally racist a lot <laughs> and we did all kinds of stupid things, I still feel like I, I emerged out of it more sensitive to other people. Sure. So, I, I believe so too. Absolutely. And I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know where kids that don't get to uh, get to see these kind of things where they're going to go, yeah. like what they're going to learn and where they're going to be. But I mean, that's a whole other. Well, I, it is. Yeah, it's, I kind of got off topic, but it kind of ties into the movie and, and things. The use of its language. I yeah. mean, there's like you know they use the f word a lot, and I don't mean fuck. You yeah. Know, and it's about the you know the homosexual community or the LGBTQ uh, community, mm-hmm. and uh, and again they used it in a way that I remember using it in the nineties, right. which is like not having anything to do with gay people. Yes. It just was like a mean spirited word that yeah. You know, and and again I'm not like proud of that. Sure. That I was throwing it around as a twelve year old, but I didn't know any better. Yeah. And I didn't. And everybody really... <laughs> did. <you> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I don't understand. I didn't understand the significance of it and how it is the you know it's equatable to other horrible slangs in our culture. But yeah, I mean, I I thought that it was brave in a sense for um for Jonah Hill to use such authentic language yeah. for the time period. And I even thought, even though this maybe sounds like hypersensitive to, to kind of put a fine point on what you're saying, I think it was kind of brave to use such an authentic soundtrack yeah. because I think we do live in an age where someone could be like, well, he's this affluent white filmmaker. You know, why does he feel like he could take someone else's music and sure. apply it to that time? But I think that he was going for a more authentic 
universal quality then yeah. he, you know and i think it works and i don't i don't think he should ever if he's receiving any criticism like that i don't think that he should right i think it's an appropriate uh way to use that music and build that world for us music Definitely. was huge for my my nostalgia oh so. yeah absolutely interesting all right well uh what's your next puzzle piece uh so my next puzzle piece is um a movie called clerks mm-hmm. um I am a big fan of Clerks. I was, I'm a big fan of early Kevin Smith. I don't mm-hmm. know what the hell he's doing now. Right. He's losing <laughs> his damn mind. But, um, and because the thing is, he's so talented. I still see things in his newer films that I like, but right. then they're just such a disaster. I'm like, oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. So Clerks, it was you know his first film. If, if you're not aware of it, it's an independent film of the 90s, which which was fairly scarce to really make a, a handmade movie. Yeah. Um, even indie films like a Jim Jarmusch film and things like that, these had support and, you know, of, of you know other major investors throughout the 80s clerks was made by selling his comic book collection you know yeah. what i mean so it's that's kind of rare and cool and it had a um kind of a handmade quality that i think mid 90s has um it looks like it visually there's visual texture in clerks that uh i think matches it i th- i mean even coming from Jonah Hill's comedy background i think he must be influenced by by Kevin Smith and sure. that whole, you know, the mall rats era and uh, the clerks era. A lot of the language that you were just talking about in the last uh, mm-hmm. puzzle piece as well. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Cause yeah. Kevin Smith has such a, has a, a verbosity yeah. about him that is authentic and interesting and kind of in love with his own voice. Not yeah. like anyone t- doing this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of great soundtracks as well. Uh, clerks mm-hmm. yep. and a lot of Kevin Smith's other movies. Um, I, a lot of music I, don't really listen to any more per se, but at the You're time right. I was loving, you know, yeah. whereas uh, mid nineties, I still love that music and still listen to that music all yeah, the time. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely an ear for using music of the time, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, when I look at clerks to me, it feels like a time capsule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, mid nineties can't quite be that cause it's a modern film, but sure. it feels so authentic. It really does. That it does yeah. almost feel like another time capsule. Um, and then again, there's just the similarity of that. There's not like, it's not strong in plot. It's just people kind of wandering around and, and making jokes and figuring things out and, and kind of like bittersweet, subtle ways. So then there's actually a lot in common with clerks in mid nineties and just in tone and atmosphere. Yeah. Approach. It's a really good one. I'm surprised I didn't think of that one myself. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> well, that's why you bring me up. That's right? right. Yeah. That's why. That's why you're here. That's why you're. So here. yeah. That's it. What's your next puzzle piece? <laughs> All right. So um, my next puzzle piece. Um, you know, what? I'm gonna actually jump ahead to one. Uh, I was gonna bring up a little later. This is my other non-movie one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a movie, but not really. Uh, but it's the CKY skate videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So all just, skate videos. Yeah, seriously, all yeah. skate videos. But yeah, uh, those were like the popular, popular ones oh, I, yeah. as far as I remember. Um, but yeah, you bringing up Kevin Smith made me think of it. Like I should just transition into that. That's but, perfect because uh, they go together so well. That that time frame of that late nineties, early two thousands of of uh, just sitting around drunk watching people fall on their ass <laughs> and skate videos, yeah. you know? And, of course, the character fourth grade in the movie is making one that ends up being the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the ending the, there. Yeah, I on, yeah no, I think that's great because CKY was actually a huge part of my adolescence. Like, yeah. I remember when I saw someone, like, jump off of a roof, I, there was, like, an epiphany moment. Like, a light bulb w- went over my head, and I was like, oh, people can 
could do that. <laughs> right, right. And they could make it funny. And then, you know, why am I so attracted to it? I didn't know at the time. Yeah. But there was a huge chunk of you know, my adolescence as you know, starting out as a filmmaker. Um, I was writing sketches. I was like really big into sketch comedy and I mm-hmm. loved the kids in the hall yeah. and Monty Python and things like that. So I wrote a bunch of sketches for my friends to star in and none of them would star in them. <laughs> so a friend of mine is a skateboarder and he's like, well, why don't you make a skate video and I'll be the star of it. And then you can put in your little comedy bits like throughout it and we'll make like a CKY type video. And I was like, perfect. So yeah, I made a movie when I was like 12 years old. That was like an hour nice. long. It was a skate video. I found skaters from all over the valley and we're all little kids. And we did a lot of stupid ripoff stuff from Jackass and CKY. So I, f- I definitely felt it was palpable in the mid 90s movie. I felt it too. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's my connection to it. So where can we see that video? Well, it's you know, it's funny. It's called Slap Happy, uh-huh. which is also the name of a very successful porno. <laughs> so if you find that, I didn't make that one. Right. Okay. But there was a there was a store in Las Vegas called uh, Cash for Chaos. And I think oh, it's yeah. still there. Yeah. I think it's still absolutely. there. Absolutely. And I actually got it sold. I got it distributed and sold. Nice. And there were t shirts. I was very uh I was very uh entrepreneurial entrepreneurial. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even say that word. Close enough. Entrepreneurial. Anyway, uh, (laughs) as a young kid. And uh, I got, yeah, I got it made. I printed DVDs, the whole bit. So there is, I'm going to give something away. So I just recently launched uh, chriscranock.com. And uh, it's kind of an interactive site if you go to the desktop version. And you can click all kinds of things. And even you can find some things that are hidden. And if you find it, you can actually watch most of Slap Happy there. Nice. So if you want to go hunting... Uh, on chriscranock.com, you can go find Slap Happy. But I won't tell you where. All right, so I just Google Slap Happy. Right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I took all the tags out so that no one can know. Yeah, I'm sure it's easy enough to find. <laughs> right on. What's your uh, next puzzle piece? Uh, so the next puzzle piece I have is actually kind of a twofer. That's okay. Sure. So it's going to be the early work, uh, Slacker, and his later work of Boyhood. Um, and... I'm a big fan of both of those films. I think wow. Slacker, Slacker being a big influence on Clerks, sure, you know, and um, and Boyhood is an excellent film. I recently watched it again, and even though it's three hours and some change, I really, really love the film. I think it works really well. Um, and so both those films are about again passing of passage of time. Yeah. I think Richard Linklater, who's the director of both films, uh, he's no one like him, in, in my opinion, in, in cinema, uh, has done as much as they've done with the, documenting the passage of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with the Before trilogy, with the brilliant, which is you know stunning yeah. all the way through. I think the last film's the best film. Yeah, in my opinion, it's crazy. It's, it really, you know, I love that so much. Yeah, Before Midnight's incredible, and then of course. Um, Boyhood is so ambitious. Again, yeah. it's about the transitioning from boyhood to manhood, and this time literally to where the other films are, are more of a poetic example. Mid-90s, again, is even even less so. It's less on the nose like A Tree of Life is. Uh, it's a little bit more subtle, and it's sure. kind of, again, it's like this one little clip of time. It's, a, it's, it's even more um, specific than Tree of Life. But Boyhood actually shows you the physical transition of, yeah. a, of a person from boyhood to manhood. And so... Um, I think that's inspiring to a filmmaker. Like when I look at his films, not not I don't love every Richard Linklater film. You mm-hmm. know, and he makes minor films and he makes really brilliant films. Uh, he's he's kind of an interesting enigma of a filmmaker um, because he does that because he'll go off and make this little weird movie that's like yeah, not, you know, it's like a slight little comedy or something. But then he'll have something so ambitious as Boyhood or the or the Before trilogy, yeah, uh, which are masterpieces. 
And uh, for me, and I'm not speaking for all filmmakers, of course, but I'm inspired by his ambitiousness when it comes to examining time. Sure. Because I think I think filmmaking is a unique art in that it can capture time unlike any other art form. You know, when you paint something, it stays painted. When you record a song, you know that is nostalgic. It's emotional. But when it comes to a film, it's like you can actually see time transpiring. Yeah, and we, I think that becomes something really unique. So with slacker, uh, again, as it sounds, people kind of slacking off that mm-hmm. you know, that subculture of people skating around, doing all kinds of stuff, and then you have boyhood, which is literally that that transition of time. I don't know. I just felt like how could Jonah Hill not be inspired by it? Sure, they're so. When I'm whenever I watch Boyhood, I'm like, God, I want to do something like that. I want to do something that ambitious. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? And so, of course, you got to find your own way to do it. And I think Jonah Hill cleverly was like, Well, what? What do I know? What do I know? I want to do something like that. What do I know? And I think it was the '90s. That's yeah. what he knew. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, there's a tight connection for those films. I got to tell you about a music video idea I have one of these days. I want to um, hear that's, it. That's uh, kind of in that realm, but we'll talk okay. about that. You guys can't time. hear that. It's <laughs> my ears only. But are you are you a Richard Linklater fan? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And as a matter of fact, um, you're setting me up for my next puzzle piece, Hit which me. is of course Days and Confused as well. Oh, um, I'll per- add, yeah. add that to the list. Um, Perfect. Yeah, but no, absolutely. I love Richard Linklater and uh, his movies. Uh, like you said, the passage of time, the coming of age is, you know, another way. Um, but I mean, just the, these just absolutely beautiful, like slices of life, like mm-hmm. showing like these people, these friendships and not really relying so much on plot and things like that, even though they're there. But I mean, it's really about seeing these characters and seeing these people and like mm-hmm. just uh, a very realistic portrayal of, of what life is basically yeah. on screen, you know, it's amazing that it's so compelling Yeah, because you, you know, we've been taught and this is, again, there's just some irony here Com- coming from the age of the nineties where movies, at least mainstream films, films that I didn't have access to films. I had access to as a child, you know, mm. I didn't have access to the independent world or the, or the foreign film world until I was older, but the movies that were instilled in me, uh, as a young kid going to the theater, were all plot driven. Yeah, yeah, they were all plot driven. They were all kind of on the nose. They didn't, you know, the the motif there, and I think we're still kind of stretching into it. You know, it's kind of changing now, but it is, was uh, ex- escapism. Sure. Yeah. And I think now realism has become so much more important to us as an audience. Um, you have less wiggle room. Yeah. You know, to to uh, stretch our imaginations. I think it's cathartic for us because our times are so troubling. Sure. That. You know, it's kind of like why when you're sad and you're heartbroken, you listen to a song about heartbreak, it yeah, soothes yeah. you as opposed to making it worse because there's some kind of relation there. Yeah. I think we're dealing with more realistic films now because it soothes us in some way. To where in the 90s, I don't know, maybe times were too good and we were just interested in watching people blow stuff up or yeah, fight yeah. in hockey arenas or something. <laughs> um, but What movie is that exactly? <laughs> uh, it's called, no, that's not Face Off. It's the Jean-Claude Van Damme one. <laughs> When he like sudden impact is that sudden it? death sudden death. sudden death <laughs> and they're always like hanging from the top thing and they're about to fall on the ice so, like that's like I saw that movie 170 times like so yeah the 90s were was a weird time for movies and if you go back and you look at it there's some of the best films ever made I mean Goodfellas Fargo uh, mm-hmm. the Double Life of Veronique like you know these you know, you know Babe Pig in the City yeah is made in the 90s <laughs> which I think is one of the best films of the decade nice um, I really do think it's one of the best films of the decade but anyway so but it was a really weird time for cinema particularly mainstream cinema so we were hammered over the head with plot 
yeah. is hammered over the head with like here you know, there's a three act structure good guy wins and some people hang on to that and they want they need it to this day i think that most modern audience members are still shedding that expectation yeah and they're being confronted with all these movies like mid 90s that are just like well here's a little vignette of life yeah here's you know we're not going to church it up we're not gonna you know i think the most dramatic part of mid 90s was the car wreck sequence and i almost felt it was like a little out of place uh, yeah i kind of agree with that yeah it was like a little uh, yeah. what, uh deus ex machina in a way although it wasn't an act of god a kid got drunk but yeah. it still <laughs> felt like it felt a writerly thing to do i sure. felt like john hill was like we need something to happen here yeah so i can end this movie yeah exactly <laughs> like, there need to be something to just bring them all together for one last shot right yeah. yeah so it felt a little obligatory and you know like again that's i think something that it will it will work itself out in his filmmaking that he'll get better at stuff like that and less expositional. Yeah. But um but anyway, so yeah, it, it was, my 90s are weird in, in a nutshell mm-hmm. and uh I don't even know what we're talking about, but <laughs> Well, I was going to say before we move on to the your next puzzle piece, um I'd brought it up earlier about 8th grade and never going back. Um both of those movies when we covered them, we ended up talking about Richard Linklater in both mm. of those uh episodes. So I just think it's funny how they all just tie together and are all so clearly inspired by him and his work. And yeah, you know. he doesn't, what's funny about him too, is that even though he's, he's a, like, again, he said, I said earlier, he's an enigma and he kind of is because he has this very distinct style and yet it's so naturalistic yeah. that it doesn't feel like a heavy style. So I think his influence kind of pops up on you yeah. and you're like, Oh wait, that kind of feels like a Richard Linklater thing. But on the survey, like some filmmakers are so uh, over the top with their style that like you notice it right away. Right. But Richard Linklater, he has it. It's he's so singular and yet blends in kind of like when I watch his films, I'm not conscious of him being behind the camera. I get lost in his movies. Sure. That's a really crazy balancing act to pull off. Oh yeah. In my later life, I've become more appreciative of him and I have become personally more influence i would like earlier in my life i would never consider him an influence but i think he was slowly working on me without me realizing it right right and, and, yeah the films i'm interested in doing now the stories i'm interested in telling are much more in his wheelhouse than i would ever thought of five years ago or 10 years ago That's awesome. so yeah he's in yeah he's a huge influence and definitely on mid 90s i mean how could you how could it be avoided yeah absolutely so what's your uh, next puzzle piece all right so my next puzzle piece um this is kind of a fun one um it's gonna be where the wild things are oh nice um and i i kind of hate that movie nice. so i don't know if you love it you, <laughs> you seem know, excited just now <laughs> yeah i mean i i just just because i hadn't thought of that but i think it's a really a really good one to talk about oh, um cool. but i did not love it i i there are things i loved about it but yeah, I, I didn't love it. yeah no yeah exactly yeah i'm a i'm a big uh spike jones fan. sure yeah, um yeah. i think his his Connections with uh, Charlie Kaufman have been some of the best output in modern cinema. Him solo or him on his own, I haven't been as taken with. Like, Mm -hmm. her is great, but it's not, like, a masterpiece. Her, I do think, is a masterpiece. I don't... Okay, we'll talk about that I loved her, Uh, but but yeah, no. It it seemed over long. We'll talk about it later. But I I really liked it. I mean, I thought it was a good film. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. Um, But Where the Wild Things Are was a mess, uh, I thought. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, And the problem with it and this is another motif that I think is, again, kind of influenced by Tree of Life. I'll bring that, kind of tie it together. Sure. Is, is, the, is the mythologizing of sad kids. Mm. We're obsessed with kids being sad and melancholy and like a little bit more wise beyond their years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the 
fuck? I, I just like dug a hole when I was I was fucking happy as shit when I was a kid. <laughs> Being a kid's excellent. I just played video games nonstop. Yeah, I was fine. <laughs> I was developing blood thicker than pancake batter, eating whatever I fucking wanted, and, and uh, you know, watching things and having no responsibilities. Uh-huh. And then, of course, yeah, I mean, the, the the little the world is so small. Yeah, you don't get your way, you're bummed out. But for the most part, it was a thrill ride. It was excellent. Yeah. And maybe I'm just lucky, and right. so I'm seeing my perspective only. But I'm like, are ev- was every other kid besides me miserable? Like, right. they, do they right. all should they all be in a Woody Allen movie that is like talking <laughs> about their problems? And uh, it, it stuck. It kind of struck me when I watched Where the Wild Things Are. I was like, this kid fucking sucks. I was like, this kid is miserable, <laughs> and he's shitty. He's a shitty little bastard, and I hate him. And that's how I felt about him. And then I was watching this kid's melancholy, and then his older brother's crying in the kitchen, drinking mm-hmm. orange juice or whatever the fuck. And I'm just like, why is everyone sad all the time? <laughs> You're seven. You know who's not uh, sad all the time? Who? Fuck shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, fuck shit's got his shit together. But no, but see, but fuck shit's like I don't want to. I don't want to take it too seriously, man. And, and then Jonah Hill's like, you should take it more seriously. <laughs> yeah, right. He's the, he's the happy one who's gonna get us all killed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, happiness in these movies is not celebrated. Like the 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 splendor and innocence of childhood has been manipulated in cinema to I think ha- be cathartic for the adult making the movie. Mm. I think if a kid made a movie. If we if he somehow could do it, uh, it'd be a happier film. Yeah. And I and I when I watch Where the Wild Things Are, and I watch mid nineties, when I watch Tree of Life, when I watch Boyhood, when I all these movies, they're all sad. Yeah. And they're melancholy. And I'm like, why? Yeah. I mean, at, in parts, sure. Like I said, you yeah. know, you you don't get the toy you wanted, and the whole world collapses, <laughs> and you cry. I remember one time I was my parents were fighting and I I got I got like my favorite toy I was like six and I was like I'm running away yeah. and I told them I announced it I was like I'm running away and I thought that everything was horrible mm. and you know there are moments like that and there there is kind of a an innocent melancholy aspect to childhood but it's not the bulk of childhood sure and uh, and because so yeah it kind of. Reminded me of that for that reason. Yeah. And I hate it. I'm sad about it. Like, I want to see a happier kids movie <laughs> that's sprinkled with some shit. Right. And the thing is, you know, here's the thing. If you want to have a happy kids movie, you have to watch a kids movie. You have to watch a kid being, you know, you have to watch. Like, one of the reasons I like the movie Millions by Danny Boyle mm, yeah. is because that movie has the Danny Boyle's energy. Yeah. Uh, but it's about kids, and it's made sure. for kids. Yeah, and yeah. there are somber moments, because guess what? Life is somber. But it's not like particularly somber for children. And I just feel it's ass-backwards. I think so what, like funny. we're all just jerking ourselves off with the sad kid thing. I, I feel like we uh, we had a similar upbringing because I feel the same way. About well, that. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. We were lucky, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. There, I'm sure there are kids who have devastating lives, but there's adults who have devastating lives. Like it's all the you know, luck of the draw. But I don't think childhood fundamentally is sad. Yeah, and that's what these movies are trying to tell me that like I was way sadder than I thought I was and I was like nope if, if I had a James Gandolfini monster that would do whatever I said I'd be fucking happy let's just put it that way I'd be I would quote Sopranos all day long we'd watch it together we'd eat lasagna and pasta and ziti it'd be excellent but anyway so do you, I, do you see the thread? I, I see it, absolutely. What the yeah. fuck's that shit about? I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, uh, I, I guess, 
I guess someone has decided that you can't be happy in a movie or else you don't have a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, well, it's the thing is like, what, what could the conflict be? Yeah. You know? And I understand, but I think they were just really ringing the, you know, the wash rag pretty thin. It's just like, there's no juice left. We need more movies like The Wiz. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Yeah. Sidney Lumet made The Wiz. <laughs> that's true. A master filmmaker <laughs> made The Wiz. So, yeah. No, that's the thing is, you know, I, I'm all for... That's the thing is I understand like when I write kids I write I actually try to include children in my stories I like in my films I, I like them as a character as a plot device sometimes or whatever it may be and it's because yeah they can be strangely soulful mm-hmm. but we I think we've taken it to the extreme mm-hmm. I think it's now like a cliche uh that the little kid has to be like he's troubled and he doesn't really know yeah. why yet. And that's just, now I'm bored. I'm a little bored with it. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it's representative of the whole. I don't think it's really saying anything interesting. I think it's just, again, like the adult kind of like working out their angst. Yeah. You know, and it kind of comes back to the Holden Caulfield thing where he's like a miserable kid and catcher on their eye. Right. And even then I was kind of like, all right, give it up, Holden. Like that's one of my favorite <laughs> books ever. I love that book. I have a tattoo th- related to it on my body. I adore the book, but even me, I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like you can jerk off. Things are fine. Right. So anyway, there's fun to be had. Yeah. Kid. Come on. Anyway, I don't mean to ramble, but it irritates me. If there's, if there's anyone listening that feels the same, Right, right in, right, right. <laughs> yeah. On the show, see, did you have a shit childhood? Yeah. Do you feel like you're connecting, or do you feel like it's we're laying it on pretty thick? I want to know. <laughs> Just send an email to bydavidrosen at gmail dot com, and I will make sure to forward it over to Chris. Yeah, I'm gonna read it, and we're gonna talk about it next time I'm on because I'm super pissed about it. All right, sorry. Go ahead. All right. Well, uh, my next puzzle piece is also about a sad kid. Of course. Um, yeah. There are no happy ones. <laughs> Um, so this movie, I see, it feels like a lot of people didn't like it. I actually really liked it. Um, it's the way, way back, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, from Nat, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash from Community. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of the little Miss Sunshine of 2013. (laughs) Oh, another sad child. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, the reason why I brought this one up is because of the group of friends he ends up making to get away from, you know, family. And, um, there are a bunch of... You know, for lack of a better word, they're kind of losery. They're yeah. not really going anywhere in life, and yep. that's the kind of friends that uh, that uh, Sunburn is that his name? Yeah, Sunburn. Sun, that's what Sunburn makes. He ends up finding people who make him happy. You know what I mean? Make yeah. him smile. But they're a fun group of friends. It doesn't matter so much to him what the future brings for these people. It's just for the moment, it's fun. Yeah, you live in the moment. Yeah, you know, that's that. I don't think most people don't know what's ahead of them yeah you know what i mean so those movies are uh, it's an important p- uh, distinction to make sure again you don't want your characters to be too wise because then it feels like you wrote them right you know, it feels it feels <laughs> like you're you know mapping out their life for them yeah so i think that was one of the successes of mid 90s is that it really did seem like a snapshot yeah for that reason i love the kid the character the main one of the main boys that's the skateboarder that has like drive and vision mm-hmm. you know and i think even with um fourth grade it's fourth grade right fourth grade yeah. fourth grade because he wants to be a filmmaker and no one takes him seriously he's like yeah, yeah. it's a stupid idea <laughs> and so that's the thing is you know it's i i related to that a lot because I, i've wanted to be a filmmaker since i was like three years old you know, sure. like i'm a lifer and everyone my whole life was like you can't do that right my parents right. were like you can do anything you want to do and i was like i want to make movies and they're like except that except yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, yep. so, uh, and I was like, directors die, they get old. Like, well, they need new ones. I was like, is it that really that ridiculous? That's, you know. Anyway, so, yeah, no, there was a, there was a lot of subtle texture to that idea that 
they're not really going anywhere. They're kind of going nowhere fast right. idea. Yeah, but yeah. they still have these little glimmers of their passion and yeah. what they could be. And that's that's beautiful because a kid is just potential. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think kind of Jonah Hill touched on that well. Absolutely. You know, interesting, just a, a quick thing. I, I wonder how much improv was in this movie. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah, because uh, they really, it really does feel so natural the way the kids are acting. You know, you have to think there must be some, but it's like, it's kind of hard to tell, though. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of rehearsal time. Sure. So that if it's not improvised, which I'm sure some of it is at least, that at least they got to feel, you know, feel each other out. Sure. Make sure. some kind of camaraderie. Absolutely. Yeah, you because know, it did feel... Really, it felt documentary in, in, to, a, to an extent. It really did. Yeah, like a yeah. documentary. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, what's your uh, next puzzle piece? All right, so I'm going to go at a, a curveball here Okay. and talk about um, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> okay. Now, that's crazy, right? Okay, but here's why. Uh, because I felt when I first, and this, I could be wrong. This could be just my general lack of knowledge about movies. Um, but when I watched it, I went, oh, wow, what an interesting period piece. Because it was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the first time that I'm far enough away from the 80s to make an astute and effective period piece about the 80s. Uh, and in terms of like the style of things and the technology at the time. And it always struck me like how kind of universal the story of No Country could be. Hmm. Uh, and how it was stuck in the 80s and how it didn't feel like a standard 80s movie. There wasn't like right. you know, a flock of seagulls playing on a radio or anything. Sure, yeah. But it was in 1980, I think. Um and it was like the tail end of the 70s or something along. It just felt like that. you know. And I was like, oh, how interesting that they turned this into a period piece. Because to me, there was like some producer somewhere that was like, do we need it in the 80s? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. It was like, make it now. What's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I love that they did that. And the attention to detail doing a, doing a recent past yeah, film yeah. is... Uh, challenging, you know, to really, you know, I think I watched something about it on either the DVD or on YouTube or something, but we're talking, they were talking about with the set designer and what a challenge it was uh, to really think about the recent past as opposed to making a movie that's from the 1860s or the 1930s and where it's like, we we see it at these big brush strokes, you know, everyone has big boxy suits and things are expressionistic and whatever. And you can just buy it because we're so far removed from it. But there's many audience members that lived in that time that lived in the eighties and they were just like, well, that that's bogus. That doesn't work. That isn't this. So the kind of specificity that they had to bring to it uh, was impressive. And so when I think of mid nineties, I was like, I bet there's more of a market for recent past films because of No Country for Old Men. Right. I bet you he was able to sell it. I don't know if that's, you know, but I don't have no idea if there's any accuracy to this at all. But if I were him, I would have been like, listen, we recently had like one of the best movies of the century. Yeah, and right. We, you know, we did it 30 years ago. Why can't I do it 20 years ago? That's interesting. <clears throat> that's a really interesting puzzle piece. And, yeah. I, and I like that idea of, uh, because you're right, there there haven't been many movies recently that are set in the recent, 90s, yeah, recent like past. the recent past, whereas we are getting to the point where we're seeing more and more movies set in the 80s, and not just like, yeah, like you said, Flock of Seagulls, <laughs> right. not, not just like a goofy, funny movie, but yeah. a movie where it's set there for uh, some kind of a dramatic reason to, yeah. to evoke something more than just jokes. You yeah, know? some thematic purpose. Yeah. You know, and that's what's what struck me so much about No Country is that it does not feel like an 80s movie, and yet... It's totally plausible, and I buy every minute of it mm-hmm. that it could be in that era of technology. Sure, you know. So I don't know. It's just you know, and it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, my last puzzle piece, um, and I know this is one that you had to. We yeah, talked we about saved it beforehand. It, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is kids, um, which I think everybody 
thought of <laughs> when the trailer first came out for this. Oh, Jonah Hill's making kids. Yep. Um, kids is a 1995 movie from Larry Clark, uh, written by Harmony Korine, who, by the way, had a cameo in uh, mid-90s. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. But, uh, but um, yeah, no, just an- another movie that shows, like, what life was like in that time period for children for yeah, sad kids yeah, for for sad kids because Absolutely. mid because mid 90s AIDS ridden kids yeah i was gonna say mid 90s <laughs> it's essentially kids with a lot less aids yeah <laughs> there's a dramatically less amount of aids in mid 90s than there yeah. was in kids which yeah. i found refreshing yeah i was like when does sunburn get infected with hiv because <laughs> you know that's i was go waiting to happen i was like he falls onto a needle yeah. whatever you know no um but yeah no and that's i mean it's Again, even in its to me, even in the filmmaking, you know, because mm-hmm. I Larry Clark was a photographer, right? And uh, you know, he was kind of like doing, a, I think, a documentary about kids on the street, and that's where he met Harmony Corinne, who was like, "Hey, I wrote this wild script about how, what kids are really up to." Yeah. And yeah. I remember, like, I remember reading when I was younger, I would see the box for kids at like Blockbuster, and it was like a wake up call to America. Right, it was like your right. kids have AIDS, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, no, oh my goodness." Do I have AIDS? You know, so, um, you know, that is, it was a very powerful movie. He went on to do Bully. He went on to do, what is it, uh, Ken Park, mm. uh, which is less than great. But um, but he kind of made it, like, Glory Clark kind of made it his business to uncover the festering Band-Aid of, of American children. Right. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of truth to it. Again, I'm just it's just not my life. So I, I found the films educational and fascinating. Right, right. And then, of course, at some point it comes exploitative. That's like what we expected from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always that line of like, well, how is this? Now it's just your style. You know what I mean? Where it's like, <laughs> is this really truthful about right. anything? But anyway, so yeah, when I, I mean, but in the filmmaking, because Larry Clark had really never made a polished film before, and he wanted it to feel like an urban street type film, that, you know, kids feels... You know, it's ugly. Kids is ugly. It's kids. It's mm. shoddily made, and it's totally appropriate for the subject matter. And I think it's it's deceptively simple because kids is exactly what it needed to be to best evoke that screenplay visually. Right. Uh, but it just looked like it was fast and loose. Like, I think it was less fast and loose than it looked like. Right. Which right. is pretty impressive. And so I think mid '90s shares that. It shares kind of like this simple, less than stunning vibe and it would have felt weird if it had been made any better sure you know, quote unquote better you know, more traditionally i should say not better, right you know. exactly i think it uh it goes along with clerks which you brought up earlier yeah another, another movie that you know is so lo-fi and everything yeah but, that's but the it, word yeah lo-fi is something we should talk about sure it has like there's a whole movement of music that's lo-fi oh yeah and there's like it's kind of like um there's like what's the th- i just it just left my brain I, I hope i remember it but there's like a um a clothing style where you dress it's not like mod it's something else but you right. dress like a you wear khakis and sneakers and it's like you dress like a dad or something okay. and there's and there's like a name for it there's like a whole culture behind uh-huh. it and i feel like mid 90s may start belonging into a weird subculture like that uh. but there's like a there's like a low lo-fi element to it that you know, in today's world, you can buy a camera for ten thousand dollars that can shoot. You can buy a camera for less yeah. that shoots great quality, high quality footage if you light it properly. And um, you know, it, high quality cinematic stuff. And again, I'll, I'll air quote cinematic because it's uh, totally subjective. But you know how people view more classical cinema. You can achieve that look for less money than you've ever been able to do. Sure. And so it was a very conscious decision. To make mid nineties look as bad as it looked, yeah, yeah, you know, and 
and I, I mean, again, bad's kind of a weird thing to say. It doesn't look bad. It just doesn't, right. it, it's, you know, it just looks documentary-like. It looks like there wasn't that much thought into its design. Yeah. Um, and But that's deceptive. Because Absolutely. I think because there was clearly, yeah. with how authentic they managed to get that 90s look. Right. And, and the stuff, like, really a lot of it is the stuff. I, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's production design and, like, the... the yeah, the, the prop the, department. Yeah. I mean, everything from the shirts they wore to the, the cassette tapes in their room to the posters on their wall which i had lots of those same posters um yeah i mean it's all just so authentic and so there's so clearly so much thought put into it yeah despite that lo-fi look yeah Yeah. so that's yeah there's kind of a great irony about the movie yeah yeah and that's the thing is you know i don't know if well when i kind of going back to what i originally said about the film when i say that it feels like a sketch Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily mean that aspect the the craftsmanship of it because i like i said i think it's deceptive in that it's rarely thought out and that maybe oh maybe masterfully done even sure but i feel like there's something about the story that didn't feel all the way you know cooked Mm -hmm. it was you know i mean that's i think just to clarify because i'm i'm an admirer of how it was crafted because i think it's very appropriate for what the content was but I think story-wise, it didn't... I think it may have relied too heavily on nostalgia. Sure. And I don't know if it had all the beats there that I would have... That would have superseded that initial, like, hey, there's a wrestling buddy, and hey, I got Ninja Turtles are right now. I think... I mean, there's there is more to it, don't get me wrong, but there, I feel like there's like one missing ingredient in terms of its story. Sure. More than the craft. Yeah, that's why it's hard to... It, it's just hard to give it an overall score when you're trying to like think of like you know your list of movies for the year and like where you know, where you rate this one. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, because it's like, how much of it is that nostalgia aspect and, you know, how much of it is the movie? Right. You know what I mean? Well, but, you know, it's funny. Film people can quickly get right up their own ass. You know, sure. the thing is we, we, you know, you can break down stuff and you can talk about it and try to be objective and this and that. But for me, even though I love cinema above all things and it's my chosen vocation, mm-hmm. I still approach a movie the way I approach a painting, which is if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, I don't. Sure, absolutely. You know, there are, I have quote, you know, quote rules that I would try to follow that I throw out the windows if a film breaks them and it works. Yeah, there's no real system. There's no real recipe for what makes a great movie a great movie. I think it's mainly vision and strength of vision. And if you can take all the little dangling strings of a movie and tie them up, you know, as long as they're appropriate for your content. And so it makes it very hard to put your thumb on why exactly a movie's good. But when I walked out of mid-90s, I was like, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I didn't have this feeling. I didn't have a transformative feeling that I've mm-hmm. had in films past. Sure, sure. But I thought, wow, that was really good. And it felt like there was something missing there, but I enjoyed it. And that, I to me, it. that's like, I know that's a simplistic way to do it, but that's how you should do it. I feel like you, if you get too technical all the time, I think you lose a very crucial aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I'm the first person to intellectualize and to, <laughs> you know, to tear apart and all that stuff, but I try to resist. Absolutely. Um, uh, did you have any other puzzle pieces before we wrap this I up? I have one more puzzle piece. All right. So I know you guys can't uh, have me on without me mentioning Stanley Kubrick, of course. Okay. But I have a reason to do it. I don't just, just wedge it in there for no reason. All right. I think I was pretty out there with uh, my um, my rock movie with yeah. the connection. But, I, but this one makes sense. Okay. So I read an article. Uh, what was it? Skyscraper. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry. When I talked about skyscraper, <laughs> I was like, it's the shining in a building. Yeah, yeah. And I was pretty emphatic about it. But anyway, so... Um, no, so I read an article, a really interesting article about about uh, Jonah Hill and his process of making this movie. And um, he said that he went home and he watched a movie every night, or at least part of it every night, to learn how to make a movie. And can you guess what movie that was? 
Barry Lyndon, my all-time favorite movie. So, uh, and he would talk about, which is, for those of you who don't know, and you definitely should know, there's a movie called Barry Lyndon, uh, made by Stanley Kubrick in 1975. Uh, It was not a huge success in America, but has gone on to be appreciated as one of the finest films ever made. I would agree with that. That's the consensus anyway. Mm -hmm. Watch it and judge it for yourself. Um, But... And I understood what he meant, which again gave me insight into Jonah Hill's sensitivity to the craft of filmmaking. You know, I think he. The thing about Barry Lyndon is that if you don't like the story, that's okay. That's a subjective thing. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and I understand that. But if you do look at it objectively as a filmmaker, there are few films, in my opinion, that could rival its how competent it is at, at the actual craft of having a vision for a film and then executing that vision in the language of cinema. Mm-hmm. I, I would go up against anybody and say there's no film that truly does that as well as Barry Lyndon. It's Stanley fully in control of the craft of cinema and, and nailing it. And so it made me feel really happy when I read that Jonah Hill would watch it every night. And and learn how to make his movie, who this movie, which is about an 18th century Irish rogue who kind (laughs) of like, you know, goes, you know, works his way up the system, uh, has nothing to do with with kids growing up or the past. I mean, of the uh, crossing. Wu Tang clan in that one? Not not a lot of Wu Tang. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument that Barry goes from being a child. To, uh, not really a child, but like a young man to a man. You could Mm -hmm. make that argument, but that's really not what it's about. Right. right. But anyway, so. so and it's not it's kind of a tradition like Frank Darabont uh, when he was making uh, Shawshank Redemption he would watch Goodfellas every night mm-hmm. uh, when Orson Welles was making uh, Citizen Kane he would watch Stagecoach uh, every night and so I love the idea that there's this kind of weird tradition where you get a sense of actually how to craft a film if you know how to read the film if you know how to understand how films are made you can read them. And uh, they're like textbooks. And so even though Barry Lyndon definitely has nothing on the surface uh, with with mid-90s, every day Jonah showed up to make that movie, it was fresh on his mind. And it it does live in its bones. And so it's really cool to hear that and to uh, hopefully bring more attention to, to Barry Lyndon and have people see it. So That's awesome. Radically different movie, but we have mid-90s the way that it is because of Stanley. So that's really nice. There you go. I'm glad you got to uh, I got talk to say about Stanley I got Kubrick to say it. So I'm glad. <laughs> I feel a lot better. All right. So the finished puzzle for uh, mid-90s, we've got The Tree of Life, uh, Amarcord, Clerks, Slacker, Boyhood, Dazed and Confused, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, No Country for Old Men, Kids, Dope, The Way Way Back, Barry Lyndon, The NES Classic, and (laughs) CKY Skate Videos. (laughs) That's pretty eclectic. Yeah, that's pretty good. I I like it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to say what the running theme is exactly, but I guess a little bit of coming of age in there for the most part, but not quite all of it. uh, Yeah, I think slice of life is a beautiful phrase that you use to describe it. I think it's very apt. Uh Uh-huh. So. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, midnight. I think we kind of got into what we thought of it throughout the uh, throughout the episode. I think any other like final comments you wanted to make about it or anything? Um, no, I think um, I think that it's a good film. It's a good first effort uh, mm-hmm. that it should be seen by people. It's not a movie I would definitely recommend. Yeah, um, I liked how simple it was. You know, I, I always think to myself, like, am I really accepting the movie? 
for what it gave me or am I trying to impress upon it what I think it should have been? Sure, that's really yeah, yeah. hard. You know, that's hard because you're allowed to have taste and you're allowed to not like things and like things. But I always try to stay as open as possible and just accept a movie as it is. And uh, I really think there's so much more good than there is bad. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's, you know, to just to mention again, it's deceptively simple. There's a lot going on in there that maybe we don't see at first. And uh, I would have liked it to be maybe a little bit more poignant in some areas. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was kind of half baked if, if poignant's the right word or if that's really what I was looking for it's kind of hard to nail down right but I just I didn't feel like there was this uh that one little ingredient that I that was missing but overall great film I think it should be seen not like one of my all-time favorites of the year but definitely one of the more artistic films I'm so happy for Jonah Hill sure and I can't wait to see what he makes next hopefully Absolutely. something totally different so yeah. you, any last words for from you uh no not really I think we kind of covered it all but um I uh yeah I definitely would recommend it um it's a movie that uh, I, I think everything you were just saying was like actually pretty perfect because it's like, yeah, it, it's a movie I would definitely recommend. I, I'm really glad Jonah Hill made this movie. Um, there's a little lacking to to what's happening, yeah, but, but substance, yeah, is, but something's missing. Overall, though, I, there's a lot more good than bad in it, and it's definitely uh, a movie I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. All right, well, uh, Chris, you got anything you want to plug before we wrap it up? Uh, no, not really. Um, Cinemondays, which I'm always plugging, is actually taking a hiatus at the moment right now, so I'll be online letting people know when it's going to be coming back. Um, it's all downhill from here as the comic strip I'm still releasing every week. Awesome. Uh, the, yep, that's so far. People like it, so I'm not pissing off too many people, so that's good. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's to promote uh, a web series that I'm working on. Uh, I'm also, of course, still working on my film Mad MX that has the great support of the Kubrick family and Mrs. Kubrick in particular. Uh, so it's it's been a very exciting time. Uh, I would like to say that a dear, dear friend of mine, a guy named Dylan Gallagher, who I love like a brother, uh, an episode that he wrote for um, Netflix's and, and Marvel's Daredevil uh, has is now premiered on season three. So if you guys are fans of Daredevil, uh, watch season three. It's the best season so far, in my opinion. Very grounded, really high quality stuff. And episode six, The Devil You Know, was written by my buddy. And we're collaborating on a project right now together, so it's really exciting. But awesome. yeah, so I just want to say congratulations to him and how proud I am and that you guys should check out the new season of Daredevil. Awesome. Sounds good. Check that out, everybody. And Chris, thanks again for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, so make sure you check out Mid-90s. I think it's still in theaters. Uh, you should definitely give it a watch because, I mean, it is uh, it's a pretty cool movie. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Cranock. And that is it for today. Uh, we will be back next week with another new episode. Uh, we have finally burned through all the in-the-can episodes that we have, so it's time to... Uh, Watch a bunch of movies and make a bunch of episodes of this podcast. So uh, I want to remind you all, make sure you're subscribed. Piecing It Together is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, TuneIn Radio, uh, Google Play, Google Podcasts. Those are two actual separate things. They're on both of them. Um, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can pretty much find us and you can subscribe. And we would really appreciate it if you subscribe. And if the podcast app of your choice has reviews, such as iTunes, you can rate and review us as well. So that would be amazing if you did that. Uh, today, I am going to close out the show, like I said earlier, with a song from our sponsor this week, Farangs. Again, you can find their album, Colta Cola, on their Bandcamp page, which is 
farangs.bandcamp.com. Farangs is spelled F-A-R-A-N-G-S. So uh, make sure you check them out, and you can also check out their show November 24th at Beauty Bar, opening for Delta Sleep. So I'm going to leave you now with a song of theirs. It's called Words. Check it out. Enjoy it.
and All Points West. 